This is exactly right. Welcome to our new premium episode. This is Dr. Dan speaking at you here. Hello, Parent Footprint Podcast listeners. I am back with our awesome engineer and dad, Phil Rossi, for another special episode of Sitting Down with Dr. Dan. And every month, as you know, we record a new premium episode for subscribers and I answer and we discuss together your listener questions. So keep sending us your DMs on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email us at podcast at drdanpeters.com because we really do read all of your questions. Hello, Phil. Hello, Dr. Dan. Here we are once again. The days are getting longer. Summer is approaching. Yes. And it's hard to believe. It is hard to believe how time continues to march on, but it's a, it's a wonderful thing to get a little more daylight. So I'm, I'm smiling today, especially as we are recording on Friday. So we, uh, we've uh, made it through. We have another week. Happy Friday. Well, let's jump right into the questions. And our first question is from a direct message on Instagram. Now, it's a it's a short question, but it is a it's a tough one. How do you help your child stand up to teasing? Yes, teasing um it happens a lot at school and um you know, first I want to say I'm I'm glad to hear the word teasing because we also hear a lot about bullying. And there can be often a fine line between teasing and bullying. And also, yes. bullying has become a buzzword for like anything that's, that's right. like teasing or rude. And so, be clear, I'm not minimizing. I'm just kind of the larger context is there's a continuum of teasing to bullying. Both are unpleasant. Unfortunately, yeah. it's all part of our human experience um, so, for some of us more than others, unfortunately. And our kids do experience this. So it's a really good question. Um, I say the first thing is to ask your child about the teasing because it's important to, first of all, understand, yes, your child's experience, how they're feeling and also what the content is that is upsetting to them. So you can gauge where this thing does fall on the continuum. Like, is it teasing that you have to help your child learn how to uh, deal with and uh, have some comebacks for, which we'll talk about in a second? And or is it higher up on the continuum of bullying? And if that's the case, we can't expect our kids to do this thing alone. And we often need mm -hmm. adults to step in and other adults uh, often yes. school adults, personnel to step in. So with teasing, you know, it's, it's, it's how do we help kids develop a toolbox and a repertoire of what to do when they're being teased and right. tell them there are many ways to deal with it. One way to deal with it is to say, please don't say that to me. It bothers me. 
just to be really direct and assertive. Some people yeah. will honor that, right? And other people will look at it like, all right, here we go. Let's get this kid really upset. <laughs> you know, let's let's yeah. target more. Um, so one way is to be very assertive. I don't like it when you do that. Please stop it. Another one is to walk away. Um, another one is to actually have this menu of comebacks. Um, for example, um, you know what? You are the smallest person on the field. Yeah, I, I tend to be pretty short. Thanks for noticing. Or right, right? Yes. like how do you have help your kids have a sense of humor to deflect? Because usually, I, I guess teasing comes in, in so many different ways. Teasing people tease just because it's sort of the hierarchy thing that starts to happen as kids get older. And kids tease to also communicate in a way that becomes kind of part of the social culture. And kids yes. tease to be mean. And so we're trying to figure out again, which one is it and how do we help our kids figure out which one works for them and which one might work for them in different situations? What, what do you think, yeah. Phil? Well, I think, I mean, it's, it's as described, it is not, it's not as simple an issue as it might appear on mm -hmm. the surface because yes, there is this, this social dynamic who is doing, who is doing the teasing? Number mm -hmm. one, is it a friend? Maybe if it's a friend, they don't realize that it's bothering you. And so they'll, they'll be receptive to saying, Hey, that's really upsetting to me. Can you not, can you not say that? Mm -hmm. Or if it's a friend and then you give that perspective to your child, oh, they're probably just, you know, that's just, they're playing. They probably don't mean it to hurt you. Maybe you turn it around on them again in a way that's playful, right? And then there's the deflection as far as, well, if they're trying to get, if it's someone that's trying to get a rise out of you and you respond in a way that almost they're not expecting, like you suggested, aligning with them and saying, yeah, I am the smallest kid out here, then that might diffuse the situation right there. Mm -hmm. And again, it's like you said, you bring it back and get the context, understand what exactly is happening as, as accurately as you can. And then you decide, well, how do we, how do we manage this? Do we escalate? Is it teasing? Is it right. bullying? Is right. it playful or is it hurtful? It's intuition as well. I think when your child is describing the situation, there are certain tells as well, you know, as far as if it really is really hurting them. And then I think you can assess through that intuition right. as well. And I, and I was going to say, you know, it's our job as parents to also teach them how the world works and help them navigate the world and understand the world, particularly as they're, you know, getting older and getting into newer experiences. And, you know, some of our kids are really sensitive. Um, you know, yeah. like you have a, um, a sensitive person saying that. So I, you know, I know what it's like to be a sensitive person and, and, and You're we never want to, on the other end. Yes. <laughs> yes. We are aligned, Phil. Yes. And so we don't want to minimize our kids' feelings. Like we don't, I, I know too many people, clients, parents of clients who grew up hearing, you're too sensitive. You're just too sensitive. You're, you know, you're always getting so emotional and that's not helpful um, for people to hear. That said, if you're trying to understand the social situation your child is in and your child is feeling hurt and 
you hear about what is hurting your child, and it could be that you determine that, wow, your child is actually being really sensitive to a situation that is pretty common. It's also walking that line of trying to help them understand the intention and the meaning and the social rules in a way that they might be able to shift their perspective about what's being said to them as maybe it's not personal. Maybe it's like this is a, Mm -hmm. a, a new rule they're learning about how people get along at this age and and try to try to open up their perspective that way as a way of helping them deal with yeah. it as well. Yeah, and I think that can be that can be a little daunting because you don't you don't want to have your child feel like you're not hearing them or they're not being heard yeah. or that you're not understanding. Mm-hmm. There's no perfect solution at the end of the day and yeah. sometimes one solution is going to work great and then you'll have almost exactly the same situation. Right. And it's not going to work so great. So also be patient with yourself and don't be hard on yourself as you're, as you're working on managing, yes. managing these situations. Yeah. Well, you, and you just made me think of another no, no for us parents as, as you're saying that yes. and how hard it is. Yeah. <laughs> Something that we can fall into when our child continues to come to us with this person hurt my feelings or this per- this happened and then, and this made me feel bad is sometimes we end up saying in a way like, well, what did you do to make them say that? As we kind of end up Mm -hmm. inadvertently blaming our child for the behavior that is elicited. And, you know, that's also a fine line too, because unfortunately with, if you have kids that are sensitive um, and react to teasing, the reaction can bring on more teasing. And we have to find a way again, not to shame our kids while we're trying to educate them of like, Hey, it might be better just to walk away in that situation. Or, um, you know, I know I'll give personal example. So my son who was also when he was young, very sensitive, um, what I had to work with him on, particularly with his older uh, cousins is his older cousins who they were all very close, but he was the youngest Mm -hmm. of these other two that I'm thinking about. And there'd be times when they would, you know, they'd be playing a game or keep away and they'd end up kind of ganging up on him in the game and he would get really upset and then he would start to cry, which would only not help the situation. And so what I had worked on him for is trying not to feel shame about having emotion, but hey, if you're feeling like you're going to get really overwhelmed and upset and feel crying, it might be better just to leave the situation so you kind of take back ownership of it and don't find yourself yeah. in a situation where they're teasing you more. And lo and behold, one day I'm looking out the window and this thing is happening outside and I'm watching unfold and I'm thinking, oh no, you know, I want to step in, but no, I can't right. step in. <laughs> and I saw him turn and walk around on the house. He didn't see me looking and I saw the tears forming and he removed himself from the situation. And that was actually like a proud dad moment, but yeah. it was one of those things like, how do you handle these tough situations? I mean, it's tough It's yeah. and it's okay for, it's a great question to ask because we've all asked that question, you know, yeah. how do we handle this? So I think that is just a great question. And Dr. Dan, I think your advice is uh, spot on. So I think we can safely move on to question number two. Okay. This one came from email. Why do middle school kids push their parents away? Well, that's a simple one, Phil. By the time our kids get into middle school, we've become completely embarrassing, idiotic, <laughs> and just like a nuisance to to exist. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, I think of that uh, 
is it that Mark Twain, I'm going to butcher this, but the Mark Twain quote that it was, I was, um, when I was 15, um, my dad didn't know anything. And by the time I turned 24, I couldn't believe how much he had learned in the past nine years. It's like, it's not, you know, <laughs> it's something like that. So, um, okay. Couple, couple reasons. Um, one is this is when our children are becoming teenagers. They're going through all of the hormonal, hormonal, physiological, uh, neurochemical changes and identity changes. And part of it is to be independent, the push to be independent. Um, and the, it seems like what happens at that time also is when our kids change from seeing us as like these people on a pedestal to starting to see us as much more human, which is both yeah. very healthy and also comes with a lot of frustration and disappointment and confusion. Um, and so when they wanted to snuggle with you and wanted to hold your hand and wanted you to drop them off and walk you in, it's a natural independent growth phase to say like, I don't need any of that and I don't want any of that. And will you just leave me alone and let me live my life? Right. Okay. I'm overstating or that's more of the stereotypical stuff. And also what happens is these kids generally, and of course I'm making generalizations here, start to spend more time in their room with their door closed. If they have that ability to do so, yeah. to have space with themselves away from you these days, more, uh, hopefully connecting with their friends. Uh, a lot of times it's on uh, media and technology yeah. and, yeah. um, it's that in-between phase of becoming. And if they don't pull away, they have trouble growing up and leaving the home eventually if they're always relying on us and needing us. And you know those kids that tend to not do that at middle school, the phase tends to come later, right? So often it comes in middle school, right. but there's some kids that it just comes later and they don't start individuating um, till much later, but still the same process generally occurs. Yeah, no, I, I, th I think that really sums it up nicely. They're coming, they're coming into their own a little more, right? Mm -hmm. They're just developmentally, they are more self-aware. They're more socially, they're becoming socially aware. And suddenly we're not necessarily that big influence in their lives anymore. It's their, mm -hmm. their peers and yeah, media as well, which is, that's a whole separate topic, but suddenly you are not, like you said, on that pedestal that you are the, you know, who they come to for everything. Right. And so right. I think it's that distancing is, is natural mm -hmm. and it can feel like they're pushing you away, especially I think if you are openly addressing it. Like, why right. are you being distant? Why are you right. just going to your room? You, we don't really talk anymore. Things like that is a surefire way to, to really kind of make <laughs> more distance there and yes. really get, really get pushed away. Yeah. That's a really it's good a point. It's a challenging time. And, and it's it hurt. It is hurtful it is. for a parent though, right? Like it's hurtful that all of a sudden you have this like close bond and it, and for some, it seems like overnight, all of a sudden you're just an idiot and you like, they don't want to spend time with you. They don't want you to read to them. They don't want you to tuck them in. Like it just sort of happens. And it's shocking for a parent when you've had a really close relationship. So a few things, one is just to know most of the time it's, it's 
it's a temporary difficult transition that you emerge on the other side, but the relationship can look a little different. Um, my wife and I always talk about with all three of our kids, we didn't get the memo. Like we, when, when one of us would go away, um, it would always be the kids would take turns sleep, getting to sleep with one of us who's ever home. And at, for each kid at a certain age, like, one weekend it was happening, and then the following month, hey, so do you, uh, mom's going to be away or dad's going to be away? Do you want to, who wants to sleep with me? Like, no, nope, I'm good. I'll sleep in my own bed. Right. Yeah. Like, wait, what? Wait, no, no, one more. <laughs> you know, like it just, it just happens. Um, but we as parents have to be okay with the transition. And I think what I try to think about personally and talk to my clients about is when you are feeling hurt and frustrated by your child's your your teen's behavior think about how you felt at their age and how you felt about your parents at that age like often it's yeah. we want our kids to stay in touch with us and tell us what's going on but if we look back at how we were in that age we didn't necessarily want to do that um no. it, it's not always no. consistent but it's a good it's a good sort of litmus test to kind of get us back to okay this is kind of normal because i you know I ended up talking to my parents again, or I ended up liking to hang out with them again. Yeah. It was just that period. Yeah. And to piggyback on that too, you may be grieving the loss of certain aspects of your relationship with your child, but there will be new aspects of your relationship that are going to develop as they, as they mature that you will value you know, just as much, but in, in a different way. So well said. So well said. And that, re yeah, and that reminds me of, um, for everyone listening, you might have already heard the podcast, the, the recent podcast with Dr. Kenneth Ginsberg, um, who was mm -hmm. just awesome. And he talks about, he has his new book about, um, you know, congrats, you're having a teen. And what he, what he spoke to us about and what he writes about is your relationship with your child as a child is so small compared to the amount of time you're going to have a relationship with your child as an adult. And really what we're trying to do is set the foundation yeah. now for all of those decades of relationship when they are quote an adult and whenever that happens. But that, but this, this time in childhood is, is so small, but it just is everything when you're in it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We are trucking along here. I'm loving these questions this month. Okay. What? Okay. This is another question that came in via email. What are some rules to help younger kids navigating nudity at home that will help them as they get older with sleepovers, sleepaway camp, visits to grandparents, etc.? And related, how can we better enforce rules about closing bathroom doors? Hmm. So it's a two parter. It's a two parter. They're related, I think. Two parter. Uh, two parter. So this is a, this is a, a question that relates to boundaries, I would say. And every family, you know, every family has their own different culture and idea about nudity and comfort with nudity. Right. And I think you have to first start with what is your family's comfort level with keeping like the, the primary thing in mind is we don't want to shame kids. We don't want kids to feel shame about their bodies particularly with the world we're growing up with and how bodies are supposed to look a certain way yeah. and all the social media with that. Um, so what's wonderful about kids is they feel completely comfortable 
in their skin. And you know, it's like, it's, it's like, again, one yeah. day it's all of a sudden they look at like, Oh my God, I'm naked. And Oh, I have to cover up and I, my body's changing. And that's actually a sad, that's just kind of a sad time because all the, now there's the self-consciousness. So I think if we think about educating our kids about, again, quote, how the world works, it's talking to them about w- what type of behavior is okay in certain situations for your family and how do other people feel yes. about it, right? So it could be like, hey, you know, we're okay with, um, you know, we're open and we're okay with um, w- w- not wearing clothes, being naked, but other people aren't as comfortable with that. You know, at a certain age, you have to tell them. And at summer camp, people aren't, there are rules around that. And in other people's houses, they're not going to be comfortable around it too. So we have to think about when do we, you know, when do we put on our clothes because we want other people to feel comfortable as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I think about is I remember um, a client situation where um, the adult client, you know, grew up in a very um, 60s hippie-ish communal living. And there, okay. you know, back in the day, there was a lot of just natural nudity and yeah. um, not sexualized nudity. You know, it was like part of like just living. It was, um, yeah. And what her husband told her when her s- oldest son was becoming pre-adolescent was it was interesting. She said, she told me, she said, yeah, he said like, hey, you know, just to be aware as someone who was a young boy with hormones, even though it's your mom, when you start to see parents' body parts and you have hormones, it can get really confusing for you. And so she said that was a real helpful boundary for her to hear from her husband, not being a boy of like, why it'd be important to now wear clothes because of comfort level and of boundaries that way. So again, I'm, I'm talking all around this question because, you know, we're just reading, (laughs) reading the question. We don't know the the nuances. Um, I'll say one more thing, Phil, and then we look forward to your ideas. Um, okay. Bathroom doors, right? Like a lot of times bathroom doors are open just because it's a habit of not closing them. And again, there's a comfort level. And I would say you just are over and over trying to say with boundaries, without shame, just out of respect for people's privacy and people's comfort level in our home, we feel more comfortable when the door is closed. We'd like to help you get in the habit of closing the door because it's also important you learn to do that at other people's houses, at school, and in you know summer camp and other areas because that's just basically a... Um, you know, most places, a basic hygiene rule that people follow, and it's our job to teach it to you. So again, I think a lot about these things as sort of education and really try to stay away from shaming and feelings of guilt. Yeah, I think, again, I mean, you, you without even really having the context, I think you, you nailed it. It, it. It's about, uh, it's not about shame or guilt, but rather about, let's think about everyone's comfort right and that you know not everyone may be comfortable with nudity or seeing you you with your clothes off and start there especially you know if you're at a home where nudity is more of a more commonplace uh going with that route i think i think that is uh you know you're it's pretty surefire and the same applies to to the bathroom you know it's someone may not it might make someone very uncomfortable if they happen to walk in on you and you're going to the bathroom. Right. I mean, that's certainly one, one approach and, and say, so we're going to practice this at home. We're going to close the door at home. So 
we don't forget to close the door when we're at our friend's house or we don't forget to close the door when we're at school. Agreed. Okay, this is question number four, the grand finale. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. How do I know if my high school senior can handle a gap year? On the flip side, are there ways to know a high school senior is ready for college or not yet ready and could benefit from a gap year or extra year at a college prep program? It's timely, too. This, this is, is timely such a timely question. Um, so this was a, a common question before COVID for many, many young, growing adults, um, emerging adults, and it is a even more pressing and relevant question with COVID as so many people have had, um, you know, not been able to participate in aspects of life that prepare you for college. You know, a lot of independence, a lot of being on your own, a lot of going away, um, you know, all that stopped being at school, um, in school. So, yeah. So we, gosh, I'm talking about this all the time, uh, with clients and I know many of our friends, um, are, uh, entertaining these ideas too. So, okay. What do you, so how do you know? First of all, it's gray. If you have, let's start with the most extreme. If you have a child who has difficulty with day-to-day daily living and functioning without you being very involved, like eating, bathing, getting to places on time, being able to problem solve, um, those are indicators that maybe there needs to be a little more time for that frontal lobe to develop and for more skill building. Um, and that's why even if not a gap year, a, uh, the community college model is yeah. just such a wonderful model to have another year or two living at home while you're still growing without the high pressure and high cost, high stakes, right. um, yeah. that go with it. Oh Yeah. Right. So, so, so one aspect is looking at daily living ability to daily, daily living and functioning. Another one is looking at mental health issues and we are having a mental health, um, a mental health pandemic of, um, teenagers and young adults dealing with, um, extreme depression and anxiety. Um, those are things to look at. It doesn't mean that if your child has those, any of what I just said, that they're not ready necessarily for, like they can't go to college with a comprehensive program. So a lot of these kids do need supports, which is need the help of the learning centers and the um, student accessibility centers. But the thing is, those kids now being adults have to utilize them. So if you have a child who needs these extra supports and has them at home, and is willing to seek them out at home and you have a good placement for them where you feel comfortable in the environment because there's communication and there's services and your child is on board, those are things that considered maybe they'll be ready versus not so much. Gap years is, is a whole industry now. It didn't used to be. It's a whole industry. And gap years can be anything from I'm gonna take a gap year and take a year off school and I'm gonna live at home and I'm gonna work or I'm gonna have an internship. Um, or I'm going to go to a um, welding program, you know, I'm going to learn a new skill or gap years or they have, also have these amazing gap years where you go to other countries and you travel and you build houses and villages. There, there's, you learn different things. 
Right. These gap years have different levels of support. So some gap years don't have a ton of support for emotion, social and emotional development, and others have a lot of it built in because the gap years are there to help your your kid, your student grow. So yeah. um, I would say is it's often, again, gray because you're taking a little bit of a leap, and the the bind is you're trying to know that you have to have some level of risk because we just don't know what our child is going to step into. And at the same time, we have to trust our instincts on our kids and try to suss out what's our own anxiety versus is really like, I'm not sure how they're ever going to make it to class if I'm not there to pull them out of bed. Right. So it's like, it's, 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 it's multifaceted with some level of risk if you're building in and hopefully building in a support plan and whatever program you're thinking. Yeah. And I think honestly, I mean, and again, I'm not, I'm not there yet. I've got several years to go before this becomes something I I have to strongly consider, but I do think, uh, rather than also, right. Try to ascertain what your child may or may not be ready for what they're thinking, even if they say are struggling, like you mentioned, as so many are, and they're thinking on your own that they're not ready. They are, you know, they are adults pretty much at that point, right? I mean, they're they're right at the fringe, uh, at least on paper, legally. I know on paper, I know that I know developmentally, we're looking more at twenty five. Right? They are, you know, they are capable of having a discussion as well, and yeah, and that communication part is very is 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 critical. You know, don't don't rush to any conclusions driven kind of by your own anxiety of the situation. As, as you mentioned, and just, if there is, if there is doubt, you know, I would encourage parents to, to have that dialogue totally and that in itself. You know, you can also in conversations like that, being the parent, knowing your kid likely will also be able to read between the lines. If there's something a little more going on that, that might lead you in one direction or another, as far as encouraging a certain decision. Totally agree with that and support that. And I want to even highlight it further about the importance of the conversation for multiple reasons. One is you really want to get a sense of where your child is. Like, do they really, do they want to do, do they want to stay home? Do they want to go away to school? Do they want to have a gap year? What are they feeling they're ready for? And trying to enter that conversation by putting your own expectations, your own feelings, your own uh, objectives, leave those at the door to the best that you can. Cause we know our energy totally impacts our kids just to really inquire where they're at. So that's one thing that can be yeah. very helpful because they can, you know, often our kids know themselves best. However, the other thing you're wanting to assess is how realistic their thinking is. Are they still in sort of their fantasy make believe sort of thinking that yeah. they don't, get to school, do work, show up, do any of that stuff without you navigating it for them. And they think they're automatically just going to have that ability. Like we get that magical thinking a lot. So you're trying to get a sense of (laughs) how, so how much you feel, how their thinking is aligned with the reality of the situation. And when at all possible, we want to help them choose their next step 
so they can buy into it as opposed to us controlling it or stopping it or quashing it. Like it's this kind right. of this dance where, yeah. right, we want them to be like, we, okay, this is what you want. Okay, that sounds good. Or how about this? Or how about we do this, but we do this. We want it to as much as possible be their idea that they're on board with because then which if you don't have that, you have more resistance. And what we're trying to do is help our kids get behind the wheel of their own lives and not still yes. be like, well, you're not the boss of me and I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do well because you're making me do this. Like we're trying to move beyond right. that, particularly as we get to these years. No, that's perfect. And then just quickly on the flip side, looking to you, I am incapable of making a decision on my own. Mm -hmm. right. right, right. And some of the kids are in that where... And that's why I think the conversations are important. I've worked with many clients that just say, and they're overwhelmed and they're anxious and they yeah. don't know what to do. And they say, you know what? I would just actually prefer someone made the decision for me. And that's also telling. If yes. they yeah. need yes. you to make it for yes. them, yes. they're maybe not ready for whatever that thing that feels so big. And what I can tell you from everyone I know who took a gap year, who transferred to two, three, four colleges, as life goes on, none of that matters. It just all feels so big at the time. Well, I need to move on with my all of my classmates. I need to be on par with them, or I can't transfer even though I hate my school because the, the, none of it actually matters. And we have to know, and we have to, especially with COVID, it's put pushed back to everyone's timeline. We have to help our kids yeah. know there is no hurry with any of these decisions. There's time to grow up. And we don't want our kids to be in a situation that is overwhelming because then you're actually having to, um, you know, in those situations, you know, heal, heal from things and, and yes. pause. And, and again, all of that's fine. That happens all the time. But if we can go into it eyes wide op open and not force or push a situation, we maybe can avoid some of that. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great answer. And look at the time. Look at the time. Once again, the, it's flown by. It's that flown. It happens every time. It does. <laughs> and I will never not be surprised. I will yes. never not be surprised when we wrap up. Well, they're great questions. Yeah. I'll, on that note, um, I'll let you bring it home. Okay. Well, uh, we do appreciate the questions. You're listening. Um, your questions make this show. They make this premium show. So please keep sending them to us. Um, our next bonus show is going to air in May. And you can subscribe on the Wondery app to hear all of our bonus episodes and our podcast ad-free. Um, a reminder to keep listening to our regular show on Thursdays, Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. We appreciate your five-star reviews you adding people to our community, you sharing the episodes which moved you and you think will benefit others. Please keep following us at Parent Footprint Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. You can always visit our website at drdanpeters.com. And you know what I'm going to ask you to do? Start that day by asking yourself, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Mountain Spring High, composed and performed by Gabriel Lewis. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. 
follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Listen, follow, and leave us a review on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can listen to new episodes one week early on Amazon Music or early and ad-free, plus bonus episodes by subscribing to Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.